Welcome to Rooted Light, a show that centers on the path of being human first in the divine play of life on earth. This podcast aims to explore the bridge between mysticism and what it means to I interview Ellie Thomas. And I won't like spoil it all, uh, but I'll have a lot more to share about her in just a minute. Uh, but first, I just kind of wanted to give a little update. If I, if you haven't already, if you don't already follow me on Instagram or whatever, um, I just wanted to name a couple of changes, but they're not really changes. I've sort of been headed in this direction for a while now. Um, but my change has been, I'm now root, rooted light somatics. And that's because I am transitioning kind of the focus of my work. It will still always encompass elements of spirituality. That is an integral part of what I do. And I will still offer readings, at least for now. Um, but I am very, very interested, if you guys don't already know, in somatic work. And if you aren't familiar already with what that is, um, it's I could talk about it for hours and I'm not going to. Um, but it's essentially being able to connect with your physical body and using your physical body as an instrument, using inner sensing to be able to gain a connection to your emotions, to stories, and to be able to transform past patterns and traumas through the body. And so you will probably be seeing a little bit more of a shift in my content to that, um, but I'll still always be talking about like other good things like intuition and um, ancient wisdom traditions and mysticism, but I just think it's really important that I we bring it back down because we are here, we're humans on earth, we're having a human experience, and we carry a lot of pain in this human body. Um, regardless of what type of life, what type of life you signed up for, <laughs> we we have a lot of pain, and we're here to be able to grow through that pain. And you will definitely get a sense of that when we talk to Ellie in today's podcast episode. But just a little bit more, I also wanted to open up the fact that I am interested in taking one, maybe two uh, people as clients for somatic work. And I am interested in this being a sliding scale offer. So um, just reach out to me if that feels like something of interest to you. And we can kind of discuss like what type of offering feels right. And yeah, that's all I wanted to share for now. In the meantime, I hope you really enjoy this episode and I will talk to you all soon. I am so excited today to have this conversation 
um, with Ellie Thomas. And I think you will really enjoy what we have to talk about. It already feels like there's going to be so many layers. (laughs) (laughs) So I will go ahead and read her bio. Ellie Thomas is a guide for deep transformation, liberated expression, and heart-connected living. She is an intimate explorer of life, grief, spirit, love, healing, heart expression, and authentic living, and her approach is intuitive, energetic, and body-based, as well as soaked with wisdom from her own lived experience. Ellie finds joy, reverence, and power in daring to be with and extend love to what has been hidden away. She works with others to open and connect to their vibrant divine hearts, honor pain and grief as sacred teachers and experiences, and release what is no longer theirs to create space to discover deeply resonant living and being. Ellie offers transformative one-on-one mentorship, group programs, and on-demand workshops at ellieflow.com and is the host of the Fountain with Ellie Thomas podcast. Hi, Ellie. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here with you. Yeah. So we got a little sneak peek from your bio, a little bit about what you do. And I just wanted to speak a little bit to how we kind of met. We haven't actually met in person, but... And my experience with you, because we virtually met through an online community of a mutual mentor of ours. And I had a session with Ellie. I don't remember how long ago now, because time is confusing, but it was several months ago. And I want to share with you just I I was definitely doing my own work up to that point, but that to me feels like a marker into a really a huge turning point for me. Because during that session, I was able to actually really understand a little bit more of what connecting to my own body felt like. Mm. And I hadn't really had that experience with someone guiding me in that way. And so just it, so many things connected after that point, And it was such a beautiful experience. Um, and it's hard for me to put into words what that uh, experience actually entailed. But I, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your story and what you do, which I know can be really hard to put into words when we're doing this type of work. Yeah, can definitely join you in the how do I put words to this profound experience that just took me on a ride and I've landed in a whole nother part of myself and life after just an hour session with somebody. So um, I'm continuously glad and just like beautifully touched to hear how impacted you were and I'm always humbled by that and also I don't feel surprised that it was a turning point for you my energy tends to meet people in moments of turning points and I'm not exactly sure 
why that is or how that came to be in my story. But I think there's just been a lot of turning points and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of moments where a door is opened and I am like, oh, here I am. I'm going to walk through this. And that has been part of my path has been that. Um, and I guess that helps me meet others in those moments now. So it's really, really cool to hear that. Thank you for sharing. Um, I have in the past year been practicing telling my story in a succinct fashion because it is not a story. It is very windy and up and down, but I realized that it really has a few really important arcs that I think just even them and talking to a few of them really help how see how they all intertwine and how I am where I am today. And so the first um, the, the arcs are my mom was diagnosed with cancer early on in my life when I was eight. And then again, when I was 17 and then again, when I was 26 and each of those moments really impacted me. Uh, it took me years to understand how, especially in the childhood parts of myself. And that correlated a lot with my work in grief now and my first that's all come from my personal work of kind of unraveling that arc of my story and understanding that but it really intertwined with this other arc which was health and connection to food and kind of vibrant living that was another arc in my life where I experienced a lot of um dis-ease in my body and unwellness from a young age, everything from rashes and extreme exhaustion and um, major GI issues along, you know, up and down over many, many years. And when I was in my late 20s, when my mom was re-diagnosed, kind of the the ways that all of that was intertwined together, the grief and her process and her health and my love for food and for beautiful, vibrant cooking and my desire to feel vital and also my figuring out what was okay for my body uh, to really release a lot of the symptoms. And I have walked a crazy winded path in the health world and used to work specifically in that world too. So it's a big arc and those two intertwined a lot. Another one of the arcs has been uh, my spiritual path, which I grew up Jewish, but never felt like spiritually connected to Judaism. And when I was in my late teens, I kind of had this moment or mid mid teens really of my dad and my sister and my mom were all at a table. And my sister said to us like, so if God really exists, what do you believe God is? And I realized that I didn't really know if God existed. My mom and my sister fully believed that they did. And my dad, who was kind of leading the development of Judaism in our lives, was unsure as well of if God existed. And that really put me on an agnostic path that I was like, this makes zero sense. Why are we doing all of this if you're not even sure that God exists? And I kind of broke off a little bit of... Um, 
the long term, not of the traditions and the love for Judaism, because I find it absolutely incredibly beautiful still. And, but I did, well, I did break off from practicing and from looking to progress in Judaism in my life. And when I was 21, I traveled abroad to Chile and I ended up later on in that trip meeting my husband and that became a whole nother arc of my story, but not as, not as to this moment uh, in this conversation, but the, the path with going to Chile ended up taking me on a ride of having an experience where in the middle of the night, I was abandoned um, by my friend who was too drunk and she ran to a taxi and I was left in the middle of this port city at three in the morning. And it was a very unsafe situation. And after many tries with little money and no cell phone options at the moment, uh, needing to ask strangers for help to get back to where I needed to be. And in the process of doing that, I was helped by uh, first a group of strangers and then one one man. And he walked, he took a taxi with me to where I thought I needed to be. And he walked me back to uh, the neighborhood where I knew I needed to be and helped me find the house where my friend was staying. And when we got there, he just kept walking and I was so relieved and so grateful and offered him money and all of these things. And he just kind of kept walking and disappeared. And I turned towards the fence and it was locked. And in South America, the fences are often like three feet of concrete and then multiple iron wrought uh, feet of, they're, they're like maybe an inch thick iron wrought things with hooks on the outside. And I ended up deciding that I needed to climb the fence to feel safe and to get inside. And I climbed over and I made it over okay, but I had a little purse on that got stuck. And I jimmied my <laughs> jimmied my body to unstuck my purse. And one of the hooks went through my arm um, right in my wrist. And crazy moment of like adrenaline and all of the things I just grabbed myself with my other hand, completely reversed myself off, stripped off my clothing. Thankfully, I was on the right side of the fence and I ran to the door and I got help and we went to the hospital and et cetera. I had never had an experience before where I was 100% aware of divine presence and very clearly knew the angels had been present and helped me. And over the years, as I've revisited that story, I'm quite convinced that the man that helped me uh, was an angel or was being like used by an angel to help me. It was a very, he hardly spoke to me. There was absolutely zero, you know, desire to know me or anything. He was just like dutifully doing the steps to get me to safety. And moment I now see was an incredible opening for me of just witnessing like the divine exists and there's something beyond here and it was a moment that in all of my beautiful and tricky control mechanisms and uh, looking to do things from a controlled place in order to feel safe I realized in that moment like I can't like my ways don't work anymore or I can't keep living like this anymore and truthfully I entered a pretty great depression after that 
Um, I didn't know that it was depression at the time, but it was kind of like one of my earlier existential crises, which I've now had many of them. But I think that those three arcs in my life, I'm now 35 and that was when I was 21. So there's many, many years of development and exploration in that one of them that was really interestingly tied to meeting my husband was that I met my husband a few months later and his family, uh, they're pastors of and have been part of a charismatic Christian church for a long time. And while I didn't agree with a lot of the theology being close to and then connecting with that community was basically my 101 school and learning energy and beginning to realize my gifts because I had grown up in a world that was incredibly intellectually based and that is and I have a very strong intellect and not in the sense of an academic intellect but in the sense of like I've got a strong mind and so that part of me was always really normalized, but there was never space before for these other very subtle parts of me, but very powerful parts of me. And so being a part of the church community that his family is a part of over the years, I, I returned later to live in Chile for five years um, with him before we moved to the U.S. five years ago. But uh, being kind of in relationship with people that trusted the visions I was seeing, the words I was getting, the that trusted me to pray with power for people um, in many. It really kind of became it was my master's degree in beginning to understand the subtle and also the energetic realms and also my in my exploration of the divine. And I have always very, very, very clearly felt since I had that kind of moment of breach, I guess, of my understandings, I'm very, very clear about the presence of the divine. So I've been in constant exploration of that. And that's one of my favorite things to continue to explore in life. And then in 2020, in the area of spirituality, I had this moment where, well, maybe I'll back up a second. So my health path had led me to um, enlisting a lot of practitioners for help, but in in a moment of having massive period cramps and major crisis with my own health, I ended up finding a mentor that m mentored other people in becoming practitioners to help women in that state. And I went back to nutrition school and I had loved food. I love cooking. I feel so connected. I've always felt so connected to food in that way since I was a young teenager. And I grew up in a community where um, we gardened a ton. I lived on 35 acres of land growing up. Um, my parents raised a lot of their own food or bought, you know, the animals that we ate from nearby farmers. I grew up in a community that really valued not only the food itself, but how it was produced and the connection that it brought us in community. And then I, over time, became really fascinated by and just observed, wow, this food is not only like the reason I love it so much, it's not only a connector to and in the community, it's a connector of my joy and my creativity and my body. And all of that led me over many years to fall in love with the realm of nutrition and to study it like hardcore. 
And so when I returned to school, I was really clear because of my own struggle with um, period problems, hormone imbalance, and then also my mom's health, which was an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. I became really entwined in the holistic nutrition world. And I started a business doing that. And I did that for many years and loved it. A lot of people, and it was such a beautiful offering and it fed me beautifully. And then also nourished so many others. And the name of that company was deeply nourished for life. And I still today am like, Oh, but those words are still so alive in what I do now. It's just like a different type of nourishment. And in 2019, a series of things led me to kind of question, um, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And I went on a retreat and I had a very clear moment of seeing for the first time how my defense mechanisms and of trying to stay, you know, trying to keep my mom alive, basically, because I was so afraid that she was going to die. And how I had created my entire business and was devoted to this, trying to save her and trying to save myself. And when I realized that, it was very clear also that I realized, wait, this is not my job and not my most authentic expression. And I can't go through my life trying to save my mom. Like, I can't hold that weight. And so it took me quite a while. But I had already been working with one of my personal mentors for uh, over a year. And I was like, so if I'm not going to do this, what do I want to do? And I ended up just kind of Googling heart centered or divine focused life coaching school or something like that. And I couldn't find anything. And then there's like (laughs) nothing that every, every website that I read is like, no, this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't right. And then I found one called the transformational coaching. I think that's what they're currently called. They've changed their name since I graduated from their program. And I was like, huh, this is cool. And I had a quick meeting and I was like, yeah, I might do this, but not right now. And so the year ended and they had reached out to me to make sure that I wasn't going to do it like 10 days before the year ended. And I said, yeah, no, I am. Keep me on your list, but this is not the right timing. And then I woke up three days later and was like, whoops, I'm supposed to be doing this. The time is now. And I have now understood corresponds with a transit that started literally on that date that in my astrological chart which I don't know what it is because I don't know astrology like that but people have taken me back to like so what was happening around you know January 3rd of 2020 and I'm like well it's the day I woke up and knew I do this training and it was like also the time when I started working with Pilar's work so this crazy evolution of just bringing all of these pieces that I had been dabbling in and exploring personally in together to the potential of working in this professionally kind of came to be um, in early 2020. And at the same time, things were progressing with my mom's cancer. So there was just a lot happening. And I... I'm trying to remember exactly where I started because there's all just, it's so rich. It just pulls me right in. I could talk about this all for 5,000 hours. As soon, I think this is where I'm trying to go. As soon as I started uh, the training, I literally got there, saw the 25 people that were going to be part of it with me, people all over the world. You know, we had our 
few sessions and I had this hit of, whoa, this is what I'm part of what I'm here for or a huge part of what I'm here for. And something about that training and the way that the curriculum is set up to practice these foundational practices, which are really around inviting spaciousness and presence and listening for the ways that spirit and energy are moving and to let the client lead and to trust them and to release agendas and to really trust the moment and connect with what's happening there and sense into what's what might be going on behind what's happening, I realized that those are actually some of my superpowers. And I had never really had a space, a container within which I could explore that with somebody else in such a clear way. I had done that in dabbles here and there, but there's something really, really incredibly magical about that. And it just brought me alive in a whole nother way. And that type of coaching, coaching traditionally is called, or technically is called deep transformational coaching. And I'm certified in it. And I use many, many, many of the kind of foundations of that in my work now. And I've had the freedom in the past four years to explore more, to hone in my uh, confidence with energy and with bringing back what food offered me and what nutrition offered me, which was this desire to be really connected to the body and my own process of returning to being in my body fully more. And I don't, I say fully with quotation marks because I feel like <laughs> fully is an evolution that's happening, but um, so much more here and so much more in my body and connected now. And a lot of that process for me really happened through opening the door to grief and saying hello and just beginning to when I in my bio when I talk when when you meant when you read the part about um, connecting with the pieces that have been hidden away part of that comes from my own story of closing off so much of myself my emotion my my gifts who my natural you know joy and energy flow in order to be and move how I thought I needed to, to keep myself and others and my family safe. And so I love being in the beautiful process of being with somebody as they're ready to open a door towards a part of themselves that maybe they've closed off and to see what type of turning point it brings for them. And I use the body, uh, well, I, I say like body-based because I'm not officially trained in somatics and my work is very somatically connected and yet not exactly somatics. I very much use um, the body as a guide. Like where are these things getting to us in our body and what is the feeling? Where does this live within you and what does it want to do? And just giving it space to express and move. And I can just rejoice in saying that I live with so much more vitality now than I ever have. And I'm so excited about that. And so I've seen that in my clients as well as we just begin to kind of see how the body as a vessel of, and holder of energy and emotion and what, or sometimes I call it a fountain, right? We can, when we actually let the water move through, there's so much that can be liberated, everything from our life force to expressions that we maybe have not been able to hold or allow ourselves to 
um, release and, and express in, and yeah, it's an ongoing journey. It will continue forever. But I think those three arcs specifically are really helpful to understand, like, because they truly all intertwine and this, the turning points that when you were talking about the turning points, there was like a massive turning point for me that happened, obviously, when the fence went through my arm, there was many years of unraveling <laughs> afterwards. And, and even this week had, you know, more ahas about how impactful that experience was. So I continue to do that. Um, turning points when I moved to Chile in my 20s, turning points when I, my mom was re-diagnosed with cancer and I was finally an adult to like, my brain was literally finally developed enough to begin to process in this door into processing the years and years and years of suppressed grief that had been there. And, you know, that started with traditional therapy, like a holistic therapist and opened up into a realm of coaching similar to the type of work that I, you know, my version of it now is somewhat also based on the gifts that my mentor gave me and being able to explore my own journey um, and guide me through it with so much love and compassion and, and witnessing and patience. And so it's been like a really rich journey and I can't say it any faster than that, even though I could for a thousand more hours, but yeah, it's, it's really, really, really really special thank you for giving me the space to say those things again out loud every time I do I feel like I can own them more and rejoice and in, in being here and being able to offer and play in the ways that I do now yeah I thank you for sharing that and there is so obviously a lot there and the first thing that strikes me is just it's so easy when we step onto these like interviews or these sort of things when the spotlight's on you to just kind of like repeat sort of the same things. And like, you probably feel maybe you're doing some level of that, but there's like the sense of aliveness. Like it's still so very alive. Like all of this is still really imbuing a lot of who you are today and not just like the, well, I did this and I did this and that led to the, like, there's just so much more um, nuance and yeah, just life. And it, it it's a perfect example as something that I often say, and I think it's something that we've both learned um, with Pilar is having life be your teacher. And that's a lot of exactly what you're describing is just all these little like phases in your life that just showed you to turn your way this way or to turn away from that and like have like the felt experience of what it's like to feel what your connection is to spirit when you were put in those situations maybe not maybe you didn't feel that when you were growing up with yeah. um a system that was handed to you but you, and you didn't necessarily identify with the this one either the the one when you were um that your partner was involved in but there was like this sense of autonomy and like choosing and feeling and responding and yeah and i think in a lot of ways that can also be a metaphor of what my experience was working with you in your session where it was like 
this this guidance but there was like the sense of autonomy of of my experience and connecting like what was coming up with my own felt sense and making those connections on my own with having you sort of be able to hold that container and um just yeah to be that gentle guide um it's so hard. I don't know if you feel this way, but it's like so hard to describe this to folks, to people who are like, so what is it that you do? Like, what is <laughs> yeah. your What is your philosophy? Like, how do yeah. you work with it? It's like, oh, I definitely well, have how not. How many hours yet, do you have? <laughs> I definitely have not yet mastered uh, how I explain what I do. So, <laughs> yes. Um, and part of it is because I don't think words can communicate it I recently sat with this idea of what does really happen here and it is so alive like the frequency of it is so vital and alive in this space in a way that I believe that words can imbue frequency and also vitality and yet I think that there is a profundity in where I have been within myself and my life at a younger age than a lot of people. Um, not many people have also been in their version of it, but I was, I realized that I was presented with the threat of death very early on in my life at a very clear moment of development that really impacted me. And I have lived my life with an awareness of death being present in a way that unless you had a parent die very young or an ill, you probably didn't experience. And I don't wish either of those things on anyone. And yet also, I think there's an immediate depth and almost feeling of, in my mind, I kind of see these the tension, like the alive tension between two polarities and living in that, that has really been a huge teacher for me. And as I've walked a more conscious path with grief, and as I've embraced my own grief more and more fully every day over time, I think in the inner itself, it's imbued with so much that I couldn't even consciously say oh this is what my container is it's just like my entire energetic field holds a lot a whole you know um and I it probably does for many people and yet like my those are my signature things right and so there's a depth that words can't precisely communicate potentially because that depth is present and I kind of stopped trying to put words to it and just then like, if you feel called, you I let's do this and letting those that really feel the frequency of it from me sharing freely uh, in my writing or via my podcast or in conversations with you or with others to just really be like, here, here I am. I have a hunger for people to know it because I know how powerful it is. And I have humility and consciousness that my timing may not, you know, where I am and my hunger might not be the right timing for them. And I do trust in 
really immensely. And I surrendered to that over and over again, because of course, in my humanness, I could just want, oh, if you could only feel this, but somebody may not even be in the place where they can fully step in and uh, allow themselves to move through a process like what you did when we were together. So, and also over, you know, when I work with somebody once, it's very, a very different thing than when I work with them for years and years at a time. And the relationships that are built over time offer the depth is still there. And everything that's offered in the initial space with somebody is still there. And yet uh, we have a, what would be, um, we have an entire encyclopedia of their experiences and the work we've had together to continue to pull from and revisit and that there's already a foundation there. And so it gets even more and more fun. It's fun from day one and it gets even more fun over time. And yeah, it really is a practice of trusting that other people will get there in their time. If this is part of their path, I know that maybe it's not for everybody and also trusting the power of, the container and my path and what that allows somebody else to experience if they're ready and willing. Yeah, so true. There's there I have I've had times where people come in to work with me. I mostly do readings, tarot readings. <laughs> and so there's times where it's like holy cow like in I can feel it because in a lot of ways like I am this sounds really kind of pretentious but like I become like the conduit for like the energy of like what's coming through and I'm like and they can really be sensed both in validated by the other person like whoa that was really validating and that was wild and then <laughs> it's like I may never see them again and that's totally okay <laughs> and then there's some people where I'm like Hmm, that wasn't I don't know if that was my best work and then they come back and then it deepens and it deepens and it's just so interesting how yeah just trying not to hold any attachments to two things like and it humbles I feel like for me at least and maybe you can relate too that it almost humbles us it's like it's it's not me like it is me but it's not me and I gotta let go of the fact that I know what's best right yeah it's, yeah you know it's, yeah, whatever. it's, it's, it's a very something. humbling it's a very humbling path um yeah. to share one this the balance of freely sharing oneself and their gifts and their path and their experiences and also letting people <laughs> live whatever they're here to live it's it's a practice, you know, it's kind of like one of the huge practices of my life. Um, really stepping into the space of owning what I have lived and what I'm here for. And also honoring that that may or may not be something that some is needing to connect with either now or ever. And yeah, it's, it's a practice. <laughs> It definitely is. Okay, so I do want to like slightly tweak the direction here. Um, gosh, uh, 
we've it's interesting i'm looking at these questions and we've already touched on a lot of them that's what um, the arcs of my story do they just like cover all the bases and they're like okay here we are yeah but i do want to talk a little bit more about grief and you shared the story of your mother and that was a really powerful story and thank you for sharing it and i also think it is often what we associate with grief which is that big tremendous like life-altering loss and I also feel like grief shows up in different ways in more subtle ways and that was something I never really connected with until the last few years um, is that some people think well I never lost anyone close to me so I don't really know if I can relate to grief so I want to you, if you don't mind talking a little bit, expounding on grief as an emotion, as an energy, and what are like the nuggets that can be gleaned from grief? Mm. Whoa, so many nuggets can be gleaned from grief. One of the concepts that I do feel like I've found some of the words to put to, and yet it doesn't make sense to everybody, I'm sure, are born through grief. And this idea that when we open to grief in whatever form it's coming in our lives or has come that where we haven't previously opened to it, when we say, okay, I, I'm willing and I'm here and you can move, we become so much more of ourselves over time. And I have a story that spans, you know, incredible suppression of grief for 20 plus years and then all of the ways that I believe that that grief <laughs> is a huge energy and so that it needed to be expelled through my body um, in the form of illness a lot of the time because it was just like stagnant energy that did not want to be stagnant it wanted to flow through and sometimes the only way that I would let that happen would be through you know chronic strep throat through so throat stuff um actually for many years in my early 20 early in my 20s every time something grief provoking happened I did not have this language yet and that is a very important part of grief that I'll talk to in a second every time that grief something grief provoking happened the next day I would wake up with what was supposedly strep throat and it was like this lack, this anchor that I had put on not letting this come out because it felt so unsafe to let myself uh, really release all of the pain that I was holding around it and all of the fear related to it. So also came through my skin, <laughs> through my gut issues, so many different things like that. Um, anxiety. So I have this part of my journey. And then in my late 20s, there was like a full stop, you know, another turning point, full stop, do not pass go moment of, I can't live like this anymore. Like, basically, I am unraveling totally, I can't, I can't control this, I, I am trying to do everything I can to stay the course of what normal life should be. And I feel like I'm completely and utterly incapable of doing that. As I am convulsed with pain. And in that moment is when I connected with my mentor. And that was in 2018, uh, spring of 2018, winter, spring of 2018. And so 
that was this huge opening for me. And when I started working with her and I explained the situation and where I'd come from, she offered me this beautiful gift that I now get to be like the receiver and then the continued giver of, which is saying to me, Ellie, this is anticipatory grief. You have been living for all of these years with anticipatory grief. Nobody had ever offered me the words to the place where words do really matter, right? And words can really help us. Nobody had offered me the words to say and witness myself in this experience. And I had internalized it all as something's wrong with me. I healthy, all of these different things. And it was as simple as receiving the opening of this is grief. And the version of that grief was very different to the version of grief that I lived when my mom did actually pass away three years ago. And I have now stepped into the place of moving with grief and teaching about grief in a way that we are a vessel, or as I like to call it, like a fountain, as I said earlier, where when we learn to detect and feel and notice things in our energy and in our patterns, I call them like crunchy moments. We're like, oh, there's something there. Or, you know, where you're cruising along, what you think is okay. And then you do something that you're like, oh, this is not the place that I like to be operating in my life. And take a pause and be like, what is actually happening? And as we unwind, I find that grief is behind so much of that. And to your point about people, if they have not experienced a tremendous tangible loss, often discarding grief and the presence of it in their lives. This is huge. I often, When I have led what I call grief flows as workshops, I often am like want to scream from the work, from the rooftops being like, everybody needs to come here because grief is everywhere in all of us. Everything from some of my favorite grief to work with within myself and others is just the grief of things not having gone how I wanted them to go. And dreams not having come to fruition in the way that I desired them to be at the time. Um, Relationships, friendships. I've recently in the past couple of years, when my mom died, that was another massive turning point in my life. And I felt like a lot of my friendships, we almost like I split off into another timeline of life and the love is still there and we care about each other. And yet what we're moving through, they, a lot of them had kids at the same time. What we're moving through right now is so different. And the friendship is still, I know the, the aliveness of it remains in the sense of that our love for each other and our care for each other will never end. And yet I have needed to grieve and let go over and over and over again, this sense of connection to these people that are still here, very physically close to me. And my husband and I recently had an argument around what felt like a massive loss and an incredible grief to me. Uh, And he said, yeah, but this person is still here. And I said, yeah, but just because they're still here doesn't mean that it feels the same within me or between us. And I have grief around that. And I have grief around the idea that my mom's, you know, this really painful moment would create something else grief worthy in my life. 
so there are so many ways that grief does um, take, let's see, it's not form because grief never actually like fully finds a form, right? It's like so many ways grief touches us and moves in us. And I love to be a presence holder for someone to experience what grief feels like for them in their body in the moment of whatever they're going through. Because my experience of what it feels like I have learned is also not what it will feel like to you. There's many adjectives that I could offer that you might resonate with in certain moments, but depending on what you're feeling, it might be different. And beginning to create a sense of safety and recognition around grief is part of how we will begin to personally and interpersonally and collectively be able to work with it and flow with it more. Um, I recently, just last night, I had this experience of getting on Instagram and sharing some of my, you know, grief coming up around Valentine's Day. We are four, three days out right now from mom's, maybe four days out from her death. And, you know, the anniversary of her death. And those images are, and moments are seared into me. And I hope they will be forever. I have, I don't want to grieve having, you know, I don't want to grieve remembering them someday. I hope not to. I probably will. Um, they're seared into me. And I noticed that I have, one of the things that I have practiced is, just allowing my grief to come with me where I go in life and allowing it to be part of not only my conversations, but allowing it to take up energetic space with me. One of the ways that I offer to clients to start to think about grief when they don't feel comfortable moving with it in their, like, in their own physical bodies as vessels yet is to think about it like a sidecar on a motorcycle. And it's like this precious cargo that you have. And you don't, I don't really think we need to hold, hold grief. Grief is meant to move and progress through us. But sometimes we just need to become in relationship to it as precious cargo as something that is, is impacting how we move and is impacting how we're seen and is impacting, um, you know, where we can park and how fast we can go, etc. And so when I, was just starting to practice allowing grief to be part of my life. This is something that I just started to carry with me as, okay, I have this sidecar and I'm, it might not fit at the table perfectly like it used to when I used to go out to dinner with people, or um, it might feel kind of hidden and out of the way, or it might be a hassle to other people. Can I practice simply arriving and letting it be there with me, no matter how uncomfortable others are by it? And this is pretty fascinating. Uh, I now am not uncomfortable at all when others are uncomfortable by grief, but people are uncomfortable by my grief all the time. And so there's also this nervous system calibration that has to happen to allow ourselves to feel safe enough to move with our grief and to walk with it presently. And I don't think any of this process can be rushed. And I think it's as simple as starting to take the awareness and the consciousness of where is their grief present in my life? How does it 
speak to me, interact with me? How does it impact my body? What is it maybe about? We don't necessarily need to know what it is about. Is it mine or is it potentially also from my family uh, or other people in my life? And so there's a lot of entry places. And I think awareness is the absolute first place. And the second step is just saying, I'm willing to keep exploring this. And I'm willing to open some of myself to see how this might be moving in me. And what I was going to say about Instagram is I noticed that a lot of people responded to me with with such beautiful messages. And there were a few messages about sending me love in a hard time. And I so appreciate that, especially for all the hard times that I didn't have the bravery to go on Instagram and tell everybody I was having a hard time. And I also recognize in that how normalized it is for this idea of grief to be like, you're having a hard time because you're in grief. But I now have the beautiful gift of being able to be fluid with and in my What I mean by that is one moment I was sharing that on Instagram, then I was dancing in my kitchen and making dinner with my husband. And then we were on the couch laughing to a movie. And then I entered the couch in the movie. This person, one of the people's parent mom had also died. And then I ended the last 10 minutes of the movie in tears. And then I said, you ready to go to bed? And he said, yeah, and we went to bed. And, you know, I had a great night's sleep and I woke up just like so excited about today. So I, one of the things that I'm finding the words for is how to talk about cultivating fluidity with grief and allowing that to be our long-term process in a moment of hardcore loss. Fluidity with grief is kind of a joke because you will probably feel overcome with it often, if not all the time. And if you're willing to say yet hi to it and yes to it and let it in. Um, But in the long arc, as they say, of grief, I really believe that normalizing fluid and offering what it looks like to know how it might arise for you, what that feels like, what you need when it does, how to meet yourself and meet the grief, offering it the outlets in which it might want to move through, whether that be through physical movement, song, creativity, tears. Uh, I've released grief in so many different forms. Knowing how to just state and without needing to do anything, say, whoa, I'm feeling a lot of grief right now. How can I and let this be part of my day? And then trusting that it will lead me into another moment. So There is a vastness in what my experience of this has been. I don't think that, like I said, everybody's path is this. And at the same time, I think there's this incredible opportunity and offering to me and to everybody that I come into contact with of continuing to allow grief to be seen and known as part of our life. And then the beautiful continual continual work of moving with it and growing with it one of my favorite parts that I've learned about through my own process with grief and then working with many, many clients in the realms of different griefs 
is that when we do allow this, like what I call liberated expression of it or any emotion to move through, there is this emptiness afterwards, this stillness that creates space for something new to come up when it's ready. And that is my favorite part. It's like the fertile ground after this incredible rainstorm, right? And it's just that silence. And just like, ooh, there's something coming here. And I love working with people in that. And I love seeing how, um, how uplifting and how energizing and how confidence building it is for whomever I'm working with when they begin to see, wow, if I really give, just let this have its space and allow myself to move with it, this won't last forever. Not only will it not last forever, it's actually probably not going to last very long. And there's this beautiful space to just bask in afterwards and to trust that whatever is next in my inner garden can flourish or pop up or sprout because I have tended to this and made space. I could go on, but I'm going to ask you if there's anything you're wanting to put in there. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I love like, <laughs> like your, your whole thing is Ellie flow and I could just really feel it. You And, and I'm actively with you on the flow I'm like yes yes keep going beautiful thank you um but I do there is one thing that I feel like I want to talk a little bit about in like if we kind of zoom out and just look at grief um this is important to me because I've spent a large chunk of my life and I think this is a lot of people too very disembodied like really just not even able to really identify emo- my emotions, not having the language to identify them. And as we're talking about it, I'm like reflecting on grief. It's it's kind of like an, um, its own emotion, but it also feels like it's a bunch of um, contradicting emotions too there's like a feeling of like longing and like maybe joy of joyful memories but then also feeling equally like pain and just um yeah just like the the awareness of it not existing and um so it just feels like it's so so complex um So I don't know if you feel similarly to that. And then the other piece was also that do people come to you just not even being able to identify it? And what are like some little like for those of us who are listening and are like, oh, I don't know if I've maybe it sounds like I felt grief, but I don't know when I felt it. And what where are some markers, some like little identifiers of that you might be experiencing grief right now? Yeah. I'll start and go to the other one. Um, Yes, people come to me all the time not recognizing grief. And I get to be, this is where I get to be the giver of the gift that once blessed me of saying, it sounds like this is grief of some kind. Hmm. Part of that comes from my own attunement to grief's cadence or resonance. And the sensing beyond what might be happening on the surface and knowing grief very intimately. So 
that can look a lot of different ways for certain people. For some people, it's anger. And for a lot of women, our suppressed anger to me has a lot to do with suppressed grief, grief that we have never been told or given space to feel safely or even to recognize. And oftentimes that grief is hidden under anger. And so anger is a big one. Um, And not all anger is grief (laughs) covering. And yet a big portion of it, in my experience is I like to kind of differentiate and play with in my life. What is just pure core anger in its core sense? And then what is this anger that's actually covering pain as a defense mechanism so that we don't have to sit with it. Pain or grief, grief, pain is potentially one of the scariest things our system can feel, I think. And so it's very normal for us to have created a lot of defenders against it, especially if we haven't been guided or given safe space to feel it. Other things besides anger that might be really common are a sense of emptiness, a sense of not knowing how we feel and numbness, knowing that something's important to us, but just not even really being able to connect with it. A lot of times I see really high achieving women that are also intellectual powerhouses like myself uh having completely turned towards action and to-do lists and staying busy and my energy tends to be something that dissolves the need to be doing that and so sometimes just being in the energy of somebody that has known grief can immediately dissolve some of our own protection mechanisms against us and let us feel it more And some of the ways that somebody might be noticing that would be if you can kind of feel this pull towards something bigger when you're in the presence of somebody as they're sharing their experience or when you're reading a book that's speaking about grief or listening to a story and it brings you to tears for years before I knew about the word grief, you know, how grief was in my own life. I was incredibly caught. I don't know what the word is. Um, I want to say like this incredible amount of emotion was cultivated in me watching, listening to thinking of people that had illness or loss or pain in their own lives. And the sense of loving them was so incredibly huge, but in a painful way. Like it, it was a sad crying. It was not a crying of pure joy because I loved them. And so I think a lot of the times when we're high achieving and intellect driven women, we have can- canalized our energy into who we need to be and what we need to do so much that we don't even necessarily know, especially if you identify somebody or realizing somebody that is disembodied we don't even necessarily know how those things might show up or we might not even see them until we're in the presence of someone or something that kind of pulls them to the surface. Mm -hmm. 
living yeah. in, in the space of productivity and in the surface is one of, you know, it's a defense mechanism for many, many things. And I, when I say defense mechanism, that's not a bad thing. It's a survival mechanism. It's beautiful. It's, it's held you where and how you need to be for so long. And then there will be moments where it doesn't feel like that's working anymore. And usually that's when we're in the presence of something that brings to the surface, something deeper within us. So one of the things that I really like to talk about with people is that the Keebler-Ross definition of grief and, and the five kind of traits of grief that we learn about through that is actually not for people that are grieving losses or for the types of grief that we experience that aren't directly, you know, human loss related or um, physical loss related. They were created by studying people that were dying in their own active death practice or process. And so these anger, bargaining, you know, all five of them were stages that people were moving through as they themselves were dying and mourning their own lives. All of those things are definitely present in my grief path and I think in most people's grief path. And yet it is such a tiny little chunk of what might be possible. And so I also like to just speak about, you know, this is a good starting place, but it's quite limiting if this is what we think the experience of grief is. The experience of grief, as you said so beautifully, like the confusion of it, I hope I'm getting to that part now, um, confusion of it, <laughs> of like sitting in a beautiful place and admiring and being in awe of such beauty and at the same time having this wave of gut-wrenching pain that the person that I love will never experience this or mm -hmm. you know the one thing that happened for me was we bought a house and this incredible the joy of having this house and the gratitude for the house and then this incredible grief that my mom would never visit us here and then for a non-tangible grief moments like realizing that you know, being in a beautiful place in your life, a place that you wouldn't change, that you don't want it to be different. And yet grieving what you've had to let go of to get to where you are, including what you wanted life to be and what you wanted it to look like or what you thought it to look like. And grieving the parts of you that you've had to let go of and the many inner deaths that have happened. So it absolutely can be confusing. It absolutely has many overlapping and intertwining experiences. I think the most important thing to cultivate in all of these senses is, well, awareness first, I guess, awareness of like, just what does grief feel like for me? Does it feel like despair? Does it feel like death? For a lot of people, it can feel like actually connecting with the death or the loss of something can feel like an inner death that is so scary to feel in the system that we immediately shoot ourselves out of it. And so immediately it's like, oh, no, this is so dangerous. I cannot go there. I just got to either look for something funny, look for something to numb me, look for something to take me on and connect me to life. But once we can cultivate the word I was going to say was presence and begin to notice like what after awareness comes the willingness to be present with something. And once we can begin to say like, if I'm just present with this, how does it impact me? Or how do I see it? How do I feel it? 
I think that's actually the best way that I've experienced to help people begin to see where grief is hidden for them and what that feels like. I know I said that at the beginning and I know that it's not as clear of an answer as people want. (laughs) And yet I know (laughs) that most of us are so highly intelligent and our systems are so highly intelligent at protecting us that at first it might not even, you know, make sense. And some of the process of grief is, you know, I've even this past year have had so many moments of like, I am feeling like I was hit by a train. So there's grief here and in that there's exhaustion. And so those can also be some, some kind of symptoms for lack of a better term. And yet I can't put it together. I don't know what the trigger for this was. Like, I know what these feelings are for me now, but I, where did this even come from? And needing to release myself of it making sense for the summer, for six weeks, I felt completely like this heavy blanket was on top of me and depression and grief can go together or a depressive sensation can go together. It's not always clinical depression when we're sitting with grief that has not been attended to. A lot of times I hear people talk about stories and I wonder with depression and I have definitely traveled in and out of times with depression myself. And at the time did not know that it was depression. I also have wondered over time, if we just made space for grief and for that person to be with their grief, what would depression actually look like and be like in their life? Because a lot of times they're super mixed together and intertwined. And because we have a system that doesn't really know how to hold grief and honor it in those ways and hold somebody in that experience, we need something else to keep getting through, right? But it will, it could look a lot different. I still have depressive moments. I also have zero sense generally that it's not something that will move through with time or quickly. And that's not true for everybody, but cultivating a relationship with grief really does impact the way we see depression too. So this summer I was just feeling quite in a grief depression, feeling like there's this heavy leaded blanket on top of me, like slowing down all of my movement, pulling me down. And I was quite angry and then scared for weeks because I could not figure out why. Like there were some reasons that it could have been there. And then our 10th wedding anniversary came upon us and I woke up at three in the morning. I couldn't sleep. So I went downstairs. I decided to watch a TV show where there was a wedding and I just broke down. Like the grief finally made its way out. And I, one thing that I have kind of another term that I've coined is body clock grief and how a lot of times when it doesn't make sense, but we can feel just this weight in our bodies or there's something happening in our bodies or a call to slow down. It's because there's grief there that our minds cannot even connect with yet, but our, and it might not be because of something present that's happening, but there might have been a trigger environment or in your life that is from grief from a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, and living through the steps. If you, you know, 
the same things happen each year. For some people, that's the holidays. For me, in this sense, it was my mom's birthday. And then this time leading up to our wedding, I had, it made so much sense the moment I woke up and started crying on my anniversary. It's like, oh yeah, 10 years ago, my mom was with me every step of the way while I was getting married. And she and I were kind of partners in planning the whole thing because I lived abroad and had to come back and forth to the US in order to do it. And it was a wildly, like we were dedicated to doing this thing together. And she was present in all of it. Like without her, it wouldn't have been what it was. And so once I kind of just had this trigger from outside of me and it helped the dam of tears that needed to come, I had definitely cried, but not with conviction. And I was just so like, oh yeah, of course my body has been feeling pulled down and weighed down and slow. And of course I have been moving through this. My body is processing the memories of 10 years ago. And the reality I have had my anniversary in my mind, but the reality that my is not here to live this point with me. And also the missing and wishing, wishing that she was, as well as the incredible gratitude for what we did get to live. And that is a lot of swirl of stuff. So I think that letting go of needing to know what it perfectly looks like is really important. And myself, I'm still on that journey myself. <laughs> I think after the summer, I learned even more about just letting my grief be there and not needing to figure it out all the time. At the same time, kind of opening that space of awareness and willingness and presence to when we do start to feel it. And just, like I said, beginning to identify, oh, this might be grief. One thing I like to offer people, what would it feel like to offer to yourself the words of, oh, this might be grief? Yeah. And pretty quickly, when people ask themselves that, or when I ask them that, they will have a clear physical or intuitive response of either, yeah, no, it's not, or usually it's, oh, yeah. Just so much validation and even allowing ourselves to connect with the possibility of it. So... It's much more nuanced than I wish it was. And yet that is probably why my Scorpio so loves the complexity of grief. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Did those answers, did that all answer? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think we may have time for one more question. <laughs> Just because I like, can't not. Um so something you've talked about before, I know you've talked about because I've listened to your podcast and I talk about pretty frequently and other people in my circle, which just like this phenomenon, um, which is like this, I think you described it on your website uh, as like a collapse and expansion process. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about like, Grief is kind of its own thing and it wants to be paid attention to, I think, as if it's its own thing, not like tethered to anything else as like something to be gained out of it. But I do feel like grief does like weave its way through this like collapse and then like the space and then like the expansion piece. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess maybe if you want to talk a little bit about that and like, if, if you feel like they're kind of two sides of the same coin, like you actually, it struck me when you were talking about this, the conventional like stages of grief and how it was studied on people who were dying. And, um, obviously that's different from like, you know, you're spiritually dying or like you just like facing hard things in your life, but in ways it is like this death process. So it's like, we have like, the, we can have grief over things in our life and then like we come reborn again. So I, I don't know if you, if you don't mind just talking a little bit about that. Yeah. That's where the idea of born being born through grief comes from is Perfect. the experience of if I'm willing to say yes to this and to see where this, what this is and where this takes me and how it wants to flow through me and where it might lead me. I believe that we are ultimately led in that process back to either greater parts of ourselves or new parts of ourselves that have not had space to become yet. And in the process of being in flow with the grief, like we talked about, you know, after the crazy storm, then there's fertile silence. And then this opening that happens over time, like those openings feel like baby openings at first. But when we have a lot of baby openings happening, because we're working with this either in our daily life or through seasons of our life, it creates a massive amount of space for the new to move through us. And so the expansion isn't always immediately felt, but there's always a glimpse of it felt. Um, Sometimes it's just pure relief. You know, that's enough expansion sometimes for what we need. It's just the sense of relief of saying, oh, wow, it felt so good to just offer this space to myself or to be held in this space, to be able to feel this and be with this. Over time, I have seen it in myself and in my clients, just incredible forms and spaces of expansion. And I think that it's important to not go into it like, I am going to feel my grief so that I expand, right? (laughs) Because one part of the wisdom of the unknown and part of the wisdom of grief work together in that in order to to the expansion there probably needs to be a foundation of trust that it's guiding you to where you need to go and it's also guiding you to more of you whether that be something that has been online before or not or in a different form or not and the process of being born through grief I when I was sitting with it um, when it first came through I was offered the image of like an atomic bomb and the sense of this huge moment in your life happening, whether it be a physical loss or non-physical loss. And maybe it wasn't even that huge, but maybe the, you know, the, the moment of severance, how impactful that was adjusts to how big of a loss it was for you. And there's the initial impact. And then there's the millions of ripples that are created from that impact and they move forward in time backward in time to all sides of us all time parallel timelines of us it just 
proliferates through all of our being and all of our soul, right? And so when that happens, and then when we say, well, first of all, we immediately see the expansion there. Like, yes, there is this devastation, and there's this difference, and there's this um, broken open moment, I often refer to it as that, like this crack that happens, this fault line that is created. Um, you know, another way we can think about it is like an earthquake and from, from the tiniest move of the earth, just so that it's not perfectly aligned as it used to be to literally earth se separating apart and a massive division from who you used to be a marker in the sand of, I am no longer this person. Who am I now? Sort of thing. But in just the imagery of the atomic bomb, the expansion is already ever present. And so this is, well, part of the born through grief process is allowing yourself to trust you over and over and over again that it has touched every part of you. And that if you are willing to walk through the messiness of however that is, because I will tell you, when many of the intense grief moments struck for me, especially after my mom died, I felt very, very, very much in the dark and in the void of how is how, am I even going to make it out alive? And so you might still be in the rubble of everything. And yet this tiny whisper can just be there of like, that there's some greater expansion already present here, just in the act of connecting with this moment. And then there's the piece of being able to say yes to it. And as we walk forward, backward to the side, wherever we end up going, the yes and the willingness is the path of encountering every ripple as it comes and as we touch it, it might mean that we walk two steps and we are overcome again. It might mean that we go two years and encounter it two years later. So everybody's, you know, ripples, I don't believe that it's perfectly uniform and or that it's timed the same or looks the same. And I think a lot of that has to do with where you are in your life and how resourced you are in many ways to be able to meet them too. Um, but that imagery immediately speaks for me of the not only the way that grief moves with expansiveness but that grief in and of itself if we're willing to meet it it is a doorway to expansiveness now what that expansiveness is and how it takes form and how you embody it and how you become with it in your life that is totally dependent on every single person and their path a lot of the work that I long-term do with people is the rediscovery and the inquiry of exploring who am I becoming through this process? Who am I now? How um, do I want to live my life? And how do, yeah, when I think that there's a part in my bio about resonant living, like what is resonant living for me now? Yeah. It's just a lot like and I'm just I always tell people like in in your language it's like grief and in, uh, there's other ways of calling it I mean grief like when do you start living life this way when you actually fully be there and with your emotions and with what life is showing you 
I always tell people it's like a thirst that could never have been quenched before until you start doing it. Like it's like yeah. there, like you were saying about this nourishment earlier on in the podcast. It's this deep nourishment. It's like this satiating of a hunger that you didn't know you had. Um, and, and ultimately, it-, it turns you more towards life. There can maybe a state with grief of coming away from life and not wanting life uh-huh. because of the pain and the overwhelm of it and also there can be so many other energetic things entwined with parts of ourselves or people um, or places that we aren't ready to let go of and therefore not wanting to progress in our lives but in my experience when we do allow the expansion to be present and no matter what more and more and more you're brought back to life over and over and over again a deep sense of vitality within and also engagement with life without and exactly like what you said it's not like this ecstatic experience of life is just better now and I have less pain and it's just like nice and sunshine and roses it's like no there's actually like in a lot of ways like you for me I will speak for myself not for anyone else the pain hurts and it hurts in some ways like more than it hurt before when I was a little bit more numb to it but it's like I'm more resourced now I have this deeper trust in life and I feel equipped to like work through it and sit with it and also know that I don't know what expansion what that looks like on the other side but I know that there will always be something better if I really give it the space yeah and tuning attuning to another way to just look for grief with this kind of maybe a great way to end our conversation is when I talked about like the crunchy moments at beginning to learn what contraction and expansion feel like in your body is an incredible place to start mm-hmm. what are the tiniest you know from for a lot of people it happens in their gut in their jaw and their shoulders um I've, I've seen so many different things around like the m- tiniest contraction. Also, some people are walking around so contracted that they're not even realizing that. And so what is expansion is also important. So sometimes when I'm working with somebody, I like to just hold them in the container of exploring, and maybe I should make a meditation around this, exploring what contraction feels like to them. And so I can invite them to kind of become neutral and we have already done some things to get them there but in a neutral space where you feel clear and you feel released and you feel not either contracted nor expanded uh, inviting in contraction and allowing it to show you how it moves in your body and what it feels like and thanking it and letting it go and inviting in expansion and asking it to show you what it's like. Mm-hmm. And as you feel that, thank you. And then you can come back under, and then we get to have like this beautiful treasure hunt of just being like, ooh, I felt a contraction. Ooh, I felt an expansion. And as that happens, there becomes so much more space for the presence I was talking about before, because sometimes our body will speak to us before other parts. And sometimes you know, our body in connection with emotion, especially if we don't feel free to feel our emotions or connected to them 
there's probably a visceral reaction happening one way or the other. So I just thought of that as we were kind of talking about the expansion. A lot of times people don't know what one or the other is because they live in one or the other. So coming back to a neutral space in the body and understanding what that neutral feels like is also really important. And for some people, that might be the release that you feel after a workout, like that can help people. For some people, it might feel like after a massage, after a shower, the moment you wake up in the morning, like literally from the space of sleep to awakening and being in that kind of just laying there, it can take patience and et cetera. But I think that that is really, really helpful for people to even when the pain comes, yeah, it's not like you're not contracting and it doesn't hurt. It definitely still hurts me too. And also once we become familiar with the interchange of neutral contraction, neutral expansion, there begins to be a trust that we can move with any of them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we could talk forever. And I definitely feel like at some point we should have another conversation, but as time permits, we should wrap it up. Um, but I do want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about what you have to offer and how people can work with you. I love my one-on-one -on -one work and that will always be a huge part of what I do. So if you feel called to work one-on-one -on -one with me, visit elieflow.com and reach out. I also have multiple group containers that are coming back to, they're showing me that they're ready to be engaged with again in the spring. So I'm excited about that. And I'm creating a really, really, really exciting and what I hope to be an incredibly nourishing and accessible experience of a membership uh, that's coming in the next month or so. And it's all about just having these spaces to be in experience each and kind of ceremony of whatever we're feeling each month and to be guided and met in them and have the space to actually unwind in our body and our emotions, et cetera. I'm feeling very excited about all of the things. I also have my podcast, The Fountain and, um, yeah, it just feels like there's a lot that's coming through soon. So if you're into whatever I've shared, visit my website or reach out on Instagram and I, or visit the podcast and there's more there. Beautiful. Yeah. And I'll have all that in the show notes. So thank you, Ellie. Oh my gosh. What an amazing conversation. I'm so grateful that you were able to be here it was it's just such a pleasure talking to you and hearing all of your beautiful insight thank you I loved this thank you so much thanks for having me